Player Profiler Posse, we are back. Welcome to another edition of First Mover. This, the week 14 installment. You might notice I was paid a little visit last night by our elf on a shelf who decided to cut my hair. Uh, so all that to say, we are in full, we are fully in the holiday season. So I know that your time is valuable. So we're going to do our best to keep this one to 30 minutes and we'll do so until the end of the holiday season to give you guys the most actionable stuff and content that we can, uh, in the shortest amount of time. Cause I know that time is valuable. So with that, I am Hilo and this is first mover. Week 14 slate, man. This one looks gross. And I hate to use that terminology because that is is lazy. <laughs> but but this one looks gross. All that means to us is edge for us that are paying attention, for doing our homework. The edge is going to be a little bit greater on this slate. We'll talk about why that is here shortly. Let's look at this slate. We'll look at from a top-down perspective first. We've got some games, a lot of them, that have very, very low game totals. We're all laughing here at the fact that the Patriots and the Steelers, with backup quarterbacks, are playing to a 30-point game total for Thursday Night Football. That said, look what we got here. Jags at the Browns. Now that we have another, yet another quarterback injury in the year of our Lord 2023, we've got a game total of 30 and a half points. Got the Houston Texans taking on, traveling to New York, take on the Jets, 33.0 game total with a six-point spread, man. We've got some injury stuff here as well. I mean, Tank Dell was lost for the season with the Houston Texans. We'll talk about what that means to us here shortly. Got a divisional matchup with the Lions taking on the Bears, game total of 40 points. The Buccaneers traveling another divisional spot, traveling to Atlanta, take on the Falcons, 39.0. The Panthers, another divisional spot against the Saints, 37 and a half point game total. Colts and Bengals, 40.0. <laughs> All these games, man, just have backup quarterbacks. This is crazy. Uh, the Jaguars and the Browns, as we mentioned, 30.5. The Rams and the Ravens, 40.5. We've got the Vikings and the Raiders, 40.5. We have yet to see a game total over just 40.5 points. Here we go. Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers, another divisional tilt, 46 and a half game total. The Bills and the Chiefs, thank you, baby Jesus, 47 and a half game total. And then finally rounding us out here this week, the Broncos traveling to the Chargers for yet another divisional matchup, 44.0 points. So when we look at this, and I tried to be overly dramatic for a point to prove a point. The median game total of week 14 is down yet again. We saw three weeks in a row where the median game total was sparse to say the least low game totals. Then last week we had a week where game totals were up. And I like to use median game totals because that kind of gives you a feel for the slate as a whole. We saw last week it took about 218 and some change points to ship the Millie Maker. And I like to use that as a comparison tool because that gives us a good idea of the contest with the most entries on a given week, which shows us the highest required score to ship GPPs on that slate. The previous week, 
after before last week, you were winning GPPs if you scored 210 points. Last week was up to 218. Earlier in the season where we had a lot of projectable value, so a lot of value pieces that would project very well from a median projection standpoint, you were needing 240, 245 points to shift GPPs. Now, with scoring down, with injuries happening, with so many backup quarterbacks, with low median game totals, we're requiring fewer fantasy points to ship GPPs. That makes sense, right? Like that, we understand this, but what a lot of the field is probably missing is what that means from a theoretical perspective. That should alter and dictate how we are constructing rosters, and it raises the emphasis on raw point totals. As you've noticed, we've had fewer players that are scoring 30 fantasy points or more. Last week, we had more than we've seen over the previous three weeks combined. And even so, we still only needed 218 points to ship major GPPs. So all of that kind of goes into our game plan development, how we are looking at a slate, how we're going to be attacking a slate, how we're putting together rosters, and should influence kind of how we're building and going about our roster construction. So before we continue, I alluded to all the injuries that we've seen this season. Let's quick take a quick break to get a word from the Podfather about the new Injury Finder. Now, as we at Player Profiler have become a full-blown machine learning company, the crowning achievement has to be the Injury Finder. We're now taking BMI data and injury history data and assigning a probability that a player is injured on any given touch. And not only can you see a player's fragility rating, their injury risk, we also have analysis from professional physical therapists breaking down all the major players that underwent surgery last year and what their rehabilitation looks like heading into 2023. There's a tool to compare players. There's a database where you can say, show me all the foot injuries, show me all the severe injuries, show me all the injuries requiring surgery. It provides you the key market intelligence to know what is the difference in probability that player X versus player Y will miss games this year? It's great for fantasy football, and it also just satisfies your curiosity as a fan. Go to the App Store, go to Google Play, download it. It's 5 bucks every year just to reload the latest injury predictions and fragility ratings. The 2023 data is live now. Open your phone and get smarter. Appreciate that, Senor Padfather. We are back, baby. Let's take a look at the slate, shall we? Let's dig in. So we looked at the top-level stuff. We looked at the game total stuff. We talked about like why that's important to us. We highlighted these, or, or highlighted, I should say, we were less appalled with a couple of these games in the later portion of this slate, primarily Seattle at San Francisco and Buffalo at Kansas City. There's some interesting talking points to discuss. We have some recency bias associated with a lot of these players in these matchups. We have a Buffalo Bills team taking on the Chiefs in Arrowhead, but they're coming off of their bye week. So that means they've had a solid two weeks to prepare for this spot. And the Bills are now sitting at a lowly 6-6 six and six record, and they're currently out of the playoff picture in the AFC. So they should be motivated, at least in this spot. And we'll talk about here what we're looking at. 
First, though, I want to talk about the Seattle and the San Francisco game. I mentioned the fact that we're going to have some recency bias associated with this spot. These two teams are playing for the second time in the previous three weeks. We also have some biases associated with that. But we have DK Metcalf coming off of a three-touchdown performance against the Dallas Cowboys in that narrow loss in Week 13. He is likely going to be extremely popular because, as you see, his price did not move a lot, up from 6500 to just 6700 We also have one Debo Samuel who saw his highest singular price increase of any given week after his three-touchdown performance last week against the Eagles. We saw what happened two weeks ago in when these two teams played, Debo putting up 22.4 fantasy points, and Brandon Ayuk, quote-unquote, struggling to just 13 fantasy points. Now look at Ayuk, man. His consistency is kind of rounding into form. We look at this. Double-digit fantasy points, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks in a row. He scored a touchdown in four consecutive weeks. This is a guy who is peaking at the right time. He's almost at 1,000 receiving yards, six touchdowns, four of which have come in the previous four weeks. That said, we got the trusty, the old trusty Rusty here, Christian McCaffrey. CMC put up 114 yards, two touchdowns in their last meeting. We know that the bulk of this offense in a singular point sense is going to flow through Christian McCaffrey, Remains an extremely strong play, even at a robust salary of 9200 bucks here against the Seattle defense that has been rather hit or miss uh, against the run this season. We also have some extreme uncertainty associated with the Seattle backfield. We've got Kenneth Walker, who has missed the previous two games. The most recent statement from Pete Carroll, he might be able to play in week 14 against the 49ers. We also have Mr. Zach Charbonnet, who picked up an injury of his own in week 13. He got a bruised knee that was, quote unquote, puffed up pretty crazy Thursday night. That said, he's coming off of a long layoff. They did play on Thursday night. We're going to have to keep track of this injury report out of Seattle this week, which has been rather robust for us, right? I mean, Pete Carroll is not one to be overly upfront about his his injured players, but we've seen many names from the Seattle Seahawks on the team's injury report this season. So we'll have to keep an eye on this. I mean, we're not going to be overly excited to play DJ Dallas, who is highly unlikely to see a lot of between the tackles stuff. Um, so that kind of brings us down to, hey, is the rookie Kenny McIntosh going to see some run? Probably not. Uh, it, it just leaves a lot of uncertainty for us. So the primary pieces in this game are extremely intriguing. And we've seen DK Metcalf. All that to say, I guess, we'll go down this path first. We have a Seattle Seahawks offense that could be without their top two running backs. Extreme recency bias associated with DK Metcalf. Are we going to get low ownership on Tyler Lockett, who we know performs better against zone coverage? San Francisco has actually increased their rates of man coverage this season. We saw it especially two weeks ago when these two teams last played, where they basically manned up DK Metcalf. Um, it was a situation where they 
they kind of manned up DK Metcalf and they gave safety help over the top against Tyler Lockett and, and um, rookie Jackson Smith and Jigba and basically said, Hey, if your guys are going to beat us through the air, it's going to be through these two secondary pieces. So does that happen? That's an interesting talking point, especially I think for Tyler Lockett, who has really not performed to the levels that we have come to expect in recent weeks, but he still remains the most likely player in this pass offense to succeed if it's not DK Metcalf. And it's also interesting that the team does not utilize their tight ends very frequently in the pass game. So if the Seahawks are going to keep pace here, because we can be fairly confident that the 49ers at home are going to score more than 30 points. They're going, that's just what they do. Brock Purdy went through that three week spell here um, in weeks six to eight, where the team scored 17 points. You look at the production the rest of the season and dating back to his time as the starter last year, when Debo Samuel is healthy with Brock Purdy under center for regular season games, Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers have scored 30 or more points all but twice. And one of those was three weeks ago against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where they put up 27. So we can expect San Francisco to score here. Can Seattle keep pace? We don't know. Tyler Lockett is a name to keep on your fantasy radar um, as the player most likely to succeed uh, if it's not DK Metcalf here. Again, the caveat there, pay attention to the Seattle Seahawks injury report, which could be more misleading than anything we've seen the rest of the season. Now, Jumping into the meat and potatoes, I think, where everyone is going to be looking on the slate, the Buffalo Bills traveling to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. We have Josh Allen, who has been the most consistent quarterback from a fantasy perspective this season. On the other side, we have Patrick Mahomes, who is in the midst of his least efficient year as a starter in his sixth NFL season. So what is the reason for that? Is it because they have a smattering of mediocrity at wide receiver? Maybe. Is it because Travis Kelsey is older and not performing to his same elite levels? Maybe. Is it because Spag's defense is performing at a level that they have not seen over the previous three seasons? Maybe. I think all those things contribute to the fact that Patrick Mahomes has not provided the elite level production that we are used to. He has one game all season over 25.68 fantasy points. That came back in week seven against the Chargers where he tossed for four touchdowns. So all that to say, this Chiefs team is not the same Chiefs team that we have seen over the previous four or five years with Patrick Mahomes. But that doesn't necessarily preclude a top offense like the Buffalo Bills from hanging points which then, therefore, ergo, would lead to a higher expectation of production from Kansas City. So is it likeliest to come through Travis Kelsey? We don't know, but we know that Travis Kelsey has historically destroyed this nickel-heavy Buffalo Bills defense. Can he do that? And why is that? Travis Kelsey is a different animal. It's hard to cover him. With linebackers, it's hard to cover him with safeties. And what we're expecting to see uh, from the Bills here is we're expecting to see a lot of cover three, a lot of nickel coverages. That means 
it's most likely going to be a safety on Travis Kelsey for the duration of the game. That also means Travis Kelsey is too big and too physical and too strong for a safety to remove him from the game. The I think the one guy, the one safety that we have seen erase Travis Kelsey or suppress Travis Kelsey this season was Kevin Byard in Philadelphia. And that was three weeks ago where he put up only 44 yards receiving on nine targets. But if the Chiefs are forced to score more points because the Bills are succeeding, that production is likeliest to flow through Travis Kelsey. The other side of that is not Rasheed Rice, sorry, wrong guy. Actually, yeah, it is Rasheed Rice. Rasheed Rice is in the midst of a moderate breakout here. 19 targets over the previous two games, 16 receptions, 171 yards receiving, public math here, and one touchdown combined over the previous two games. Most importantly, though, his snap rates have been on the rise, and we should that should make a lot of sense to us. We know that that um, we know that Andy Reid's kind of taking his time this season to really work out what he wants his offense to be and look like um, as this team approaches uh, the final stretch run here. So the fact that we expected more or less, we expected this team to give us more fidelity on the wide receiver snap breakout, the expected production, who's going to assert themselves at the wide receiver room. Um, it's Rishi Rice, and he is playing more snaps over the previous two weeks. The production has been there. So this is a guy at only 5,400 against a, again, nickel heavy unit that plays a lot of zone coverage. Um, extremely interesting at only 5,400. You can play him alone. You can play him with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think I will be playing, or I will at least be more interested in the other side here in the Buffalo Bills. One thing that the Kansas City Chiefs defense does extremely well under Spags as defensive coordinator is they suppress or they really make you work underneath. They suppress downfield passing. They do that via um, talented and athletic safeties. They do that through defensive scheme. So that kind of not removes, but reduces the likelihood that Gabe Davis is a high upside piece on this slate, especially important because box score watchers are going to look at his 12 targets against Philadelphia, who is schematically like almost the exact opposite of, of Kansas City in that they struggle deep. They struggle on the perimeter. They struggle in the areas of the field that Gabe Davis sees most of his routes. Now, so now this week um, kind of gives us the opposite effect of what we saw in Philadelphia, where this Kansas city defense does all the things well that Gabe Davis does well. So strength on strength matchup from one Gabe Davis here that is likely to lead to increased reliance on Stefan Diggs over the intermediate areas of the field um, of Khalil Shakir, who his snap rate has increased dramatically with Dawson Knox out Dawson Knox, Hopeful, but not certain that he will return after the team's bye week. So keep an eye on his status because this team was playing the highest rates of twenty of twelve personnel. Sorry, uh, which is two tight ends on the field um, of any league uh, of any team in the league prior to Knox's injury. After the fact, they are primarily based from eleven personnel. So that's why Khalil Shakir has seen the snap rates that he's seen um, over that time. But the fact that Spags kind of makes teams 
string together drives, march the field, um, tries to limit splash play and explosive plays against, uh, kind of plays into Dalton Kincaid, Stefan Diggs, and Khalil Shakir. So those are going to be your two or your three primary pieces from this pass offense. I think you can play uh, Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs. I think you can run Josh Allen doubles. Um, I don't think it's a necessity on the slate because Josh Allen still is returning this elite production on the ground. I mean, four, six, seven, eight, nine rushing scores this season. And after the team fired Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator, we've seen more designed runs from Josh Allen, which is good for his upside because a lot of these rushing attempts that came under Dorsey were scrambles. These were Josh Allen doing his Josh Allen thing, escaping the pocket and getting his eyes downfield. If he doesn't find anything, he's taken off. Now, I mean, two weeks ago, three of the five rushing attempts for Josh Allen against the Jets were designed quarterback draws. Four of the nine rush attempts against the Philadelphia Eagles in week 12 were designed quarterback draws. So this schemed rushing usage is going to increase Josh Allen's rushing upside, which theoretically and simultaneously kind of makes it so that you don't need multiple stacking partners with Josh Allen. So Josh Allen skinnies are very much on the table. I think you can run those uh, in a plus EV fashion. Another very interesting spot and a spot that we kind of alluded to early was the fact that Tank Dell is going to be out for the season. If you look at Nico Collins' production with Tank Dell off the field this season, absolutely elite, like top six wide receiver in the league. The problem is he's playing the Jets, man. So is that a spot where Nico Collins can overcome at a hefty price tag of 7,600? Potentially. And this is one of those spots where I will typically defer to expected ownership um, because if a player is in a difficult matchup, a talented player in a difficult matchup where you get this like strength on strength um, expectation that just introduces a wide range of outcomes. They could flop. The defense could win. They could uh, the, the skill position player could succeed and defense lose. It's very, very similar to MLB. Those familiar with MLB DFS know that typically good pitching beats good hitting, but you always have the potential for good hitting to win out over good pitching. And typically what we aim to do is attack those situations at low ownership in MLB DFS. Same thing uh, or similar expectations in NFL DFS when we get these strength on strength matchups. It's simply typically you see the defense win out, but it introduces a wide range of outcomes. So if Nico Collins comes in at low expected ownership, he is highly intriguing. But we also have Noah Brown. Noah Brown, man, before he got injured and missed two consecutive games, rattled off two games in a row of 27.2 fantasy points or more for this Houston Texans team. With Tank Dell out of the lineup, we should see Noah Brown as the wide receiver too in a hefty snap rate role. He is priced at only 5K, so that alleviates some of the risk in this spot because that massive salary discount. So Noah Brown, another guy that is extremely intriguing. We'll have to keep an eye on Dalton Schultz because if Dalton Schultz also misses 
in addition to Tank Dell. Now we're getting almost like, I don't want to say almost all, but a high percentage of the expected pass volume is going to flow through just those two guys in Nico Collins and Noah Brown. What the field is highly unlikely to do is pair, play both of those guys with one CJ Stroud, but we've seen this guy be able to win in difficult spots, and this is no different. Uh, so very interesting um, playing CJ Stroud doubles this week. Other spots around the league. This is one that I circled earlier in the week um, for a potential upside spot. We've seen Drake London return some usable fantasy weeks at his current salary. Um, I mean, just look back to week six against Washington, another pass funnel matchup similar to what we're expecting from Tampa Bay, um, where he put up 12 targets, nine catches, 125 yards uh, at a price of only 4,800. Very similar setup this week. We're expecting Desmond Ritter to be under center for the Atlanta Falcons. He did this. That's notable because he did this uh, against the commanders with Desmond Ritter under center. So he is a very interesting potential salary saver for us this week. Moving along, this is the other game on the slate where I think it carries the upside to match kind of the expectations of some of these later games here, uh, primarily Buffalo and Kansas City. And that's because the Rams have Sean McVay. They have healthy-ish, <laughs> healthy-ish um, Matthew Stafford. They have... Puka Nakua, they have Cooper Cup, they have Tutu Atwell, they have Kyron Williams, all of whom are performing at okay to elite levels. Um, Matthew Stafford, I think his season is going extremely undernoticed and uh, underappreciated for us. Matthew Stafford has been borderline elite for these Rams this season. He has done basically everything that Sean McVay has asked of him. That's important because he's going to need he's going to need that production against this Baltimore Ravens team. But we look at the Ravens. We know they're top five in points allowed. We know that they're top 10 in points for this season. We know that they are capable of running up a score against the best of them. What's most interesting in this spot is the Ravens have largely been a team that is okay grinding out victories. That changes if you look at their games against teams that they expect to put up points. How I say that is, I mean, look at Cincinnati, look at their game against Cleveland, look at their game against, that was a weird one. Um, these games where the opposition is either aggressive or can put up points. And you look at how they started the season. CJ Stroud in his first game, a Burrowless Bengals, um, a Colts team that Anthony Richardson was out. Cleveland Browns, they're nobody. P Pittsburgh, okay, sorry, they're not nobody. They're not performing the best from efficiency on offense. Um, <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, Tennessee Titans, their first game that they had this season where it was like, okay, we're playing an opponent that we expect they can put up points was against the Lions in week seven. And you see what they did. They did not rest on their laurels in that spot. They continued to remain aggressive because they knew that the Lions were capable of scoring points. So against an opponent like Sean McVay's Los Angeles Rams, this could be a spot where Lamar Jackson has additional upside because this team could remain aggressive knowing that McVay and the Rams can put up points. So that's a very, I think, going to go under noticed on this slate. Um, 
Lamar Jackson uh, doubles, Lamar Jackson skinnies, I think carry a lot of weight for us on the season. We see Zay Flowers, who has performed better against zone coverage. It's important because the Rams are playing zone at a top five rate this season. Um, and Zay Flowers is finally coming into his own where he is the focal point of this offense in the absence of Mark Andrews. So that is very interesting. Odell Beckham has been extremely good, like leads the league or not leads the league, Jesus leads the team in targets per route run rate and fantasy points per route run rate and all the underlying metrics against man coverage this season, but is a little bit less interesting to us um, against zone heavy teams. That said, potential for some narratives here. I mean, this is a former team of Mr. Odell Beckham. Um, they could, we know that, that, that Harbaugh is one of those coaches that buys into narratives that helps his players like achieve milestones. Uh, so this could be uh, an early emphasis game for Odell Beckham. I think you can play him with Lamar Jackson. I think you can play him paired with, uh, Zay flowers with Lamar Jackson. Isaiah likely is very interesting on the slate. We know that because of the high zone utilization from the Rams, that they have struggled to contain opposing tight ends because their linebackers are tasked with or they're asked to do a lot. The Rams linebackers are asked to do a lot. They're asked to come down against the run. They're asked to drop back against the pass. And that kind of leads to that, that area behind the linebackers and in front of the safeties that is the most exploitable area of the field against this team. So Isaiah likely running, working in those routes, um, in those areas of the field, extremely interesting. I don't think anybody's going to be playing Lamar Jackson with only Isaiah likely. What do you need there? You need Lamar Jackson to run for two scores. You need Isaiah likely to catch two touchdowns. That gives four touchdowns to Lamar Jackson. I don't know. The chances of that happening are probably greater than we're going to see the ownership on those two in a stack and in a skinny stack. So Highly interested in that. You get a little salary um, savings from Isaiah Likely here uh, at only 3,500. On the other side, we know we know that the Ravens uh, are a man-heavy team. We know that the primary contributors to this offense against man are Cooper Cup and Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell is probably going to go extremely overlooked. Potential salary saver on this slate. But Cooper Cup, man, we have not seen the signs of life here from Cooper Cup, but this is still a guy that's supposed to have some upside for us. We saw it earlier in the season, and then it kind of faded away into the oblivion. But Cooper Cup should be on our radar. This is 7400 This is his cheapest price tag at any point over the previous two seasons. We're also It also puts him in this like nebulous range of player pricing at wide receiver, where we typically see lower ownership on. If people are paying 7400 for Cooper Cup, they would much rather, from a like human psychology standpoint, pay up a little bit more to gain access to some of these higher ceiling guys um, that are priced in the 8K plus range. Justin Jefferson's coming back this week. Amon Ross St. Brown, Keenan Allen against Denver, Stefan Diggs, those types. So highly interesting there uh, for one Cooper Cup, priced at only 7400 so those are kind of the wave tops. We're a little bit over our 30-minute time uh, constraints here, so we're going to end it there. But that was the big picture down to micro uh, matchup perspectives of the Week 14 slate. 
as things stand now, I'm highly, highly interested in Lamar Jackson in a matchup against the Rams where we should expect them to remain aggressive. Love him with, say, Jones. Love him with Odell Beckham. Love him with Isaiah Likely. Not ever playing a guy like Lamar Jackson based on his um, his team's propensity to hold his pass attempts low. I mean, he has one game all season over just 33 pass attempts. Um, best to run Lamar Jackson as a skinny or a double. Um, and I think all of Zay Flowers um, and Isaiah Likely and Odo Beckham are interesting. That's going to do it for us for this week. As always, you'll find these every Tuesday on First Mover. We'll get you out of here with a quick word from the Podfather. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you. The people that get the site and get the show.